It's very on brand for me. People know when I'm preaching, I got a haircut. That's it's uh, it's the calling card. I said I, I need to just get haircuts when I like lead worship or something, just to throw everyone off. Um, but I am so glad. I would really do consider it a privilege to get up and preach and open God's word, and I really do believe He's going to speak to us. I'm excited for it. Uh, we're in the the middle of this uh, series. It's our final mini series within the book of Acts, and it's called Shipwrecks, leading. Uh, while bleeding. You are nearly messed that up. Leading while bleeding. And so for this final series in the book of Acts, we're actually looking at it through a leadership lens. And I know for some, uh, as we've said right through the weeks, uh, that suddenly switches you off because we equate leadership with status or power or position. But actually leadership in God's economy, God's kingdom has to do with influence. And every single one of us are called to influence, whether it's just ourselves all the relationships he's placed in us. And so every single one of us are actually called to a life of leadership in what God is calling us to pursue. And for Paul, we actually are tracking his final journey. He's on his way to Rome. There's lots of stuff that's going to happen. Um, but I want to help catch us up just where we are. And uh, I did this last time. I seem to be, it seems to be my thing for a while. Um, I'm going to give you a map as we recap the last few weeks. Is that okay? Uh, I'm going to give you a map of the Mediterranean as it was in the first century. And this is where we find Paul on this final journey. And so in week one, um, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's giving word to the Ephesian elders, uh, elders in Ephesus where he had planted a church in Acts chapter 20 and 21, and basically says, hey, the plan of God, his co my conviction is that he's calling me to go to Jerusalem, but it's not going to be good things there. I actually will get arrested, but that's part of God's plan. And he does. Acts 20, 22, and onward, he goes to Jerusalem. He does get arrested. He gets tried before the Roman governors in Jerusalem, and they discover in Acts chapter 25 that he is a Roman citizen. And with that comes special rights. And he is able to actually basically go through their court of appeals and appeal his sentence, his trial to Caesar. And because of that, Caesar has to hear his trial. And so... They commission him as a prisoner to get transported to Rome to stand before Caesar. Little did they know that was God's plan the whole time. And now, if you were in the ancient world on some of these ancient ships, uh, a direct route from Jerusalem all the way up to Rome, top left corner, you would not go as the crow flies directly across the Mediterranean. Uh, if, you, if you were relying on the wind, that's not going to work. And so you would take a different way. You would follow the coast. And so last week we saw, as they tracked out of Caesarea, they stop off at Sidon. There's actually this little moment where even Paul, as a prisoner, gains favor with Julius, the Roman cohort who is in charge of all of the prisoners, actually just lets him go into the city to see his friends one last time um, and says, don't worry, I know you'll come back. And he does. And they carry on up the coast, and they travel past Seleucia, and then they travel past Tarsus. And I love this in Scripture. Sometimes there's these little one-liners, and we forget the significance of what's going on. Before Paul was the Apostle Paul, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And so on his final journey, I think there's the grace of God that actually takes him past his home, where he would have seen the hills that he knew because he was born there, he grew up there. But I wonder if his mind went back to, I knew who I was back then. I was Saul of Tarsus, public enemy number one of the church. I planned and plotted the death of Christians. But the grace of God took me, gave me a new name, a new identity, and a new purpose. And now I go to Rome. 
Sometimes we forget and sometimes God has to pull us back to say, hey, I know it looks like you haven't gone very far, but understand, remember what I have done in you. He continues and he gets to Myra, and we heard last week, this is where they swap ships. They get into a big ship of Alexandria, it would have been one of the biggest ships in the known world at that time. And 276 people are aboard, prisoners, sailors, Roman soldiers. And from there, they actually head down to the island of Crete, and they come to a place called Fair Haven. And things are looking good, the weather's good, but now they know winter is coming in. And so they're not going to get across to Italy before the winter uh, hits, and so they decide they're going to make port there. But Fairhaven's port isn't a great place to do winter. There's another port about 60 to 70 k's just down the way in Crete, there where that green circle is, and it's known as Phoenix. And so in their wisdom, they decide, well, let's make the journey. Let's go to the port where we'll make winter. It's deeper. There's a bigger uh, population there, so there's more for us in terms of provision. We can get off the boat, not be stuck in it, and be able to get provisioned right through winter. It seemed a good idea. But as we saw last week, Paul gets word from God that says this will lead to calamity because this ship will get struck with a storm. And that does strike just off the coast of Crete and they get blown, driven along. And this is where we'll find ourselves this week because it is not just a one and done, one big storm and they shipwreck, spoiler alert, it is a 14 day journey where they will go through hell getting driven across the Mediterranean Adriatic Sea to eventually the place where they will shipwreck the island of Malta. 14 days later, that's where we find ourselves. Why don't you pray with me and we'll get into it. Father God, we know that your word can speak. We know that your word is a two-edged sword. It can divide bone and marrow. And it's my prayer right now that you would do some heart surgery on us, that as we look to your truth, it will cut us deep but cut us deep so that it would draw us again deeper into who you are and what you're asking of us. Lord, we want to be a people who stand on the truth of your word, who know the power of the God behind these words. Lord, I pray that you'd be with me. I pray that these would not be my words, but these would be yours, and you would speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You can look at this message almost as a part two to Sai's message last week because we're in the midst of the same storm. And what Sai looked at was that storms often will reveal what's inside us. In week, last week, we looked at the storm. This week, we'll look at the wreck. What wrecks will reveal is actually our dependency. It will ask the question, what are we dependent on? More importantly, who are we dependent on? Because in the midst of this ship and storm and chaos and eventual wreck, what we'll find is there is a dependency on self, there is a dependency on the things of this world, and then there is one who is dependent on God alone. We're going to take a look through these 14 days under these four big headings. The first one is the ship, the second is the men, the third is Paul, and then fourthly we'll look at the wreck. First heading, I want to take a look at the ship. This is where we start off right from last week. Verse 16 in Acts chapter 27 says this. Running under the lee of a small island called Corda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. The picture is a storm has hit with great hurricane winds and the ship is getting beaten and broken. 
So much so that they literally have to tie ropes underneath it to try hold the ship together so that it does not break apart from the pressure of the wind and the waves. These are experienced sailors. They would have seen many storms. The fact that they were so fearful, so scared, the fact that they were worried that the ship was quite literally going to break apart tells you how bad the situation was. And when we look at the ship, I really do want us to see it as a picture for our world. A ship that was under immense pressure and stress. A ship that was getting beaten and broken. A ship that knew what it meant to be tossed to and fro out of control. Where it seems any form of leadership is now dwindling into nothing. There is no control. Does that not sound like a little picture of our world? That there is so much lack of clarity, lack of leadership, lack of understanding. There is so much pressure and stress and fear. And every single person on the ship felt it. But when it comes to shipwrecks, it will reveal dependency. There are so many storms right now. Even last week, we had so many people coming forward. Talking about storms they're in right now. Doesn't matter if it's financially, relationally, doesn't matter if we're feeling the echo effects of a COVID world. We know that the storms are raging. We know that some of us, a wreck is on the horizon. Some of us, we're in the midst of it. Some of us, we're trying to lick our wounds from it. But what I want us to not miss is that in the midst of a ship that is being rocked, that is on the way to wreck, there is hope. Because there is someone on there. There is a messenger of hope. There is Paul. And it's a picture for our world in the hope in Jesus. Paul will bring hope in the midst of a 14-day ordeal. I want to take a look further at that chaos because we see it in the midst of the second heading, the men. It continues in verse 18. It says, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the, day, the third day, they threw the ship's tackles, tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Told you this week we're looking at the, 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 the wreck that comes through dependency. I actually gave this message the title, The Wreck of Dependency. And so I really want to take a contrasting look at the men and Paul. Because in the men, what you find is not a dependence on God, but an independence in self. In the midst of a storm, there is great destruction that comes, great calamity that comes, because this is what storms cause. Number one, first thing that storms cause, storms cause us to lose direction. It causes us to drift from our goals and purpose. These men were seasoned sailors. They knew, hey, there's better, there is a better plan, there is a better goal here to get to Phoenix to spend winter there. There was a dependence in their decision, looking at the, at, at, the, at the weather when they set off, which looked all right, relying on their own skill, their own ability. It seemed like a good idea. But when the storm hits and chaos comes, quite literally, physically, they are taken off course. They lose direction away from the destination that they had, in, had planned away from the purpose, away from the goal, because we know this is what storms do. We lose direction 
Because in the midst of the chaos of a ship being rocked, we lose our navigation system. Did you notice that it said that for many days the sun and stars did not appear? I don't know if you know this, Garmin didn't exist. Google Maps didn't exist. GPS was not a thing. If you wanted to make your way on the open ocean in that time, you had one device and it was the sky. And so when you can't see sun or, sky or stars, it means you have no way to get a bearing for where you are and where you're going. Coupled with wind and waves that are rocking you and you're at their mercy and unable to control anything, driven along uncontrollably. We lose direction because we've lost the ability and the chaos to navigate. And therefore, purpose and goals get aborted. I think the application for us this morning is how often do we move in our world, in our life, in our leadership like this? Where we move independently from God, where we will move dependent on our skill, on our gut, on what we feel might look good, feel good, sound good, and not actually on the truth of what God has said. We can be so independent in our thought, in our beliefs, in our action, and we cut God out of the equation. And then there's even the stubbornness within us, because I'm shocked that they went three days of it being that bad before they get to the point of saying there's no hope, we have abandoned all hope of being saved. Day one, I'm pretty sure they felt it. Day one, I'm pretty sure they had, this is not great. This is not a great idea. Literally nothing we can do can change our circumstance. But they hold on and they hold on and they hold on and they get to day three and then say, okay, cool. Now I know we're in it. How often do we move like this? Second thing that storms cause is it causes what I call a value vacuum. Because we actually will throw out what is valuable in the midst of the stress and fear of the ship being rocked. It says that they start to jettison the cargo. They throw the cargo overboard, which is a good idea in a storm because you want a ship to be as light as possible. You don't want to be weighed down so that sinking becomes a reality. So they jettison the cargo, probably a good idea, but then they take it a step further and it says that they throw the tackle overboard. Now for you and me who maybe aren't mariners, we don't know the significance of that. We think it's fishing tackle. That's probably all right. You don't necessarily need to try catch a big whale in the midst of a storm. But actually, the tackle that we're talking about on an ancient ship is its spare parts. The tackle would be the things you use to repair the mast, the things you had in spare for joists, for ropes, for other things and other hardware that was on the ship. Can I tell you, in the midst of a storm where damage is guaranteed... It's probably not a great idea to send your spares overboard. No way to now repair the damage that was caused. But this is what we know is true in a human heart that is feeling the stress and the pressure and the fear of a chaotic situation. When you think there's no tomorrow, you place very little value in today. You actually can miss what is valuable because you're now, it's survival over sense. There's no wisdom or composure that is leading to decision-making. There is only stress and fear. And so if the answer is light in the ship, it doesn't matter what goes overboard. And so there's very little value placed in what is actually valuable. The value vacuum is actually caused by a perspective problem. 
The perspective is there is a problem, there is wind, there is waves, there is chaos. There is a perspective of me, my ability, or in this case, my inability to fix the problem. But godly perspective says there is a problem, there is wind, there is waves. There is an inability in me to do anything about it. But you know what? There is a God who has a purpose and protection over me in the midst of it. When we have right perspective, we will always have right priorities. When we have wrong perspective, we can't be shocked that priorities get skewed. I think the application for us, imagine this picture. Imagine a dad who feels the weight of responsibility because he so values and prioritizes his family. A good thing. And so he, as a good dad, like any good dad would, goes to work to provide for his family, for what is valuable. But perspective can get a little bit skewed because now work isn't just a place where you can provide for what is valuable. Work can be a place where you now also gain some power, significance, status. Your ego gets, uh, gets really big here because you're the big dog. And so suddenly we're going to mo work more and more and we're forgetting our family, the ones who were prioritized first. We're not just going to work to provide for what is important. We're going to work because now that is valuable. And so in the midst of a perspective change, we find actually we throw out what is most valuable. Here's another way. I know of someone I'm walking the road with right now. And the question they're asking is, what does my future look like? What is God calling me to? How do I know what God has purposed me for? Why I am here? It's a good question. But their energy is going towards the valuable things they have in their mind are, okay, it's about study and research. It's about every sing going to every single interview. It's about getting a mentor. It's about taking every single uh, vocational, uh, emotional temperament test I could possibly take. And what is really valuable gets neglected because what is now neglected is God's word, God's people, godly counsel. You're asking the question, God, what do you have for me? What are you calling me to? Why am I here? What have you called me to impact? Where have you called me to lead? And you're going to every other place to get the answer except him. We throw out what is valuable. In the midst of a ship being rocked, there is a perspective problem, and that leads us to a value vacuum. Life and leadership done God's way means we see what is valuable, and most importantly, we hold on to it even in the midst of the ship being rocked. And you ask, well, how, how do I get a value system that's going to that's gonna last, that's going to stand? Can I tell you, you build a value system. You build what is valuable, not in the midst of a storm, you build it in the calm sea. That's where it gets built, because then you can build it with roots that run deep. You can build a value system that says the most valuable thing to me is God's word, God's people, what God has placed in my hand to care for. And when we do it in the calm season, it becomes well established. So that in the midst of the chaos and the stress and the fear, it is really difficult to throw those things overboard. We build a strong, established value system. Last thing it leads to in these men, and we see it in that final sentence, it leads into a place of absolute despair. 
They see no way out, no hope to be saved. And we know what this journey could look like. If you've been walking this road for any length of time, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. We try our things, we make our plans, we try control situations, we, we focus in on ourselves and we struggle and we work and we have uh, one step forward and three steps back. And eventually we get to this place where we say, you know what, I've got nothing left. Absolute despair. Can I tell you, it's a beautiful place to be and I say it because it's in that place that we realize we could never save ourselves but we have a God who has sent a savior for us. The men were in a perfect place to know what it meant to know the hope of God. Because in the midst of the chaos of the ship, in the midst of the chaos of our world, we can't forget that there are those who are in it that hold on to a different hope, that have their souls anchored in something else. Not independent in self, but dependent in God. And that takes us to our third one. Take a look at Paul. Paul gives them a picture of what it looks like to be dependent on God, wholly dependent. Because he had a soul that was not anchored in self or anchored in the things of this world. He had a soul that was anchored in the things of God. And if we want to walk through the ship being wrecked and come out the other side intact, we need to realize that these anchors have to be here. It says in verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. I really appreciate that the Apostle Paul, even though he will bring the grace of God, the mercy of God, the word of God, still shows his humanity because he didn't miss the chance to say, I told you so. I think I would do the same. And I'm sure that I told you so, so felt so sweet because this happens on day 14. You know he had been sitting and brooding and getting himself ready. He's like, the Lord, I'm going to give you the Lord's word. I'm going to give you the good news. I'm going to preach you up a storm here. But first I need to tell you I told you so. <laughs> but then he comes to the word of God. He says, yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of, the, of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted me, granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Paul's given them a picture of dependence on God. He's given them a picture of what it means to be, have your soul anchored in who God is. And there's a few anchors he's going to point them to. The first anchor he points them to here is the anchor of presence. And more specifically, the presence of a promise keeper. Sometimes we get lost in the chaos of the ship being rocked because we forget who is present on the ship with us. It was the same for the disciples. They were with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, going across, get hit by a storm. And while Jesus is taking a nap, all fear comes into them. They lose their minds in the midst of the storm. They go back to Jesus, wake him up. 
forget who he is because their answer is not, hey, you are the creator God, the son of man, the one who commands the wind and waves, will you help us? They say, we are dying, we are perishing, don't you even care? These men in Acts were in the same space. They forgot who was present in the storm with them. I told the preach team I was gonna use this idea to make the point and point to Lilibeth, our toddler, she's four years old, to the f- a great fear she has, which is fear of the dark. And it's funny. I got the story literally last night. Last night we were having dinner at my mom's house. It had got dark. And for my kids, number one uh, use of entertainment is the trampoline. But at my mom's house where now it has got dark, the sun has gone down. It's in the back garden and it's very dark there but they want to go on the trampoline. So we say, all right, go for it. We let them go on their own. They run back there. 60 seconds later, they are back. And Lilibeth says, mommy, daddy, I'm scared. It's very dark there. So I said, all right, let's go. And we went back to the back garden, got on the trampoline. And it took a few minutes, but I suddenly tracked what was happening. Because in the darkness, because it's not like we turned on a light, the, the, the situation was still the same. It was dark. But if you had to listen into what was going on there, what you would have heard was laughing and playing, enjoyment. What changed? Dad was present. We didn't turn on a light. We didn't make the darkness go away. We didn't change the circumstance. We simply changed who was present with her. If you think about it, when you have your dad around, you know he will protect you. You know when he says it's going to be okay, we're fine. You trust that. And it puts your heart in a space where there's now no fear or stress. It puts you in a space where you can laugh and have fun. A very different heart space to be in. When we're in the midst of the storm and we've forgotten who is present, it's no wonder we get to this stress and fear that then leads us to skewed priorities and messes up our actions. The disciples came to Jesus and said, do you not care that we are dying? These men had lost all hope, had abandoned all hope of being saved. But Paul is actually going to stand up, point to this and say, hey, there is a God to whom I serve, to whom I belong. And he has a purpose for me that goes far beyond the ship. And so I want to point to my presence on this ship because I want you to know if I am here, he is here. And if he is here, we're all going to be okay. He points to the promise that God had made to him. Because God, in his wisdom, in his grace, in his mercy, has an angel come to Paul, remind him of a promise that he had made to Paul that you will stand before Caesar because there is great purpose I have in you doing that. He says, guys, we're in the middle of the ocean. We're not in Italy yet. So we're going to be okay. Because when my God makes a promise, he does not fail. My God is faithful. He reminds them of a pres- the presence of a promise keeper. But I think we get into this space where we, and we understand it, we know it, we felt it. Sometimes our emotions war against the word of God. Our emotions war against the promises God has made to us. And when that war goes on, often something has to change, and very rarely is it our emotions. Sometimes our perspective on God's word, our perspective on his promises has to change. And it leads us down a dodgy road. 
I tell Nikita this all the time, that when it comes to emotions versus word, the word has to win. That when it comes to God's word, we will be its biggest cheerleaders. When it comes to our emotions, we will be its biggest skeptics. Because I know my heart can lie to me. I know my emotions can lie to me. I know that when you put a human heart in a stressful, fearful situation, you make terrible decisions. You forget what is valuable. You forget what is strong. You forget what's going to matter tomorrow. I found this quote this week, and, and pun intended, it absolutely wrecked me. There's a lady called um, Krista Black Gifford. She's a worship leader, author. She wrote the song, One Thing Remains, um, with Jesus Culture. Her family went through a tragedy where they lost their infant daughter, a real storm, a wreck of note. And she writes this book and, and she really processes what it meant to walk through that trage tragedy and hold intention, emotion, and God's word and promises. And this is what she said. This is the conclusion she came to, and it wrecked me. She said, if you are not anchored in the goodness of God, you will lower your theology to match your pain. If we forget the word of God, the promises of God, when we take our theology, what we believe about God, how we see God, something has to change. And very often what we will do is lower our theology to match our pain. It's why we hear people who walk through tragedy going, God, if God is so good, how could he let this happen? If God is so powerful, I want nothing to do with him because he could have stopped this. God is good. God is powerful. God will wipe away every tear. God is renewing all of creation. Sin is a reality. Damage is a reality. Disease is a reality. Cancer is a reality. We face it every single day. God is active in it. He redeems all things. He will correct all things. We suffer for a short time, not for eternity. We have to drop our theology to match our pain because we have forgotten the goodness of God. Next anchor is provision. In verse 33 it says, As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food. And having taken nothing, therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God. In the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Jesus was the master at speaking simultaneously to the supernatural and the natural. And so Paul takes his cue from Jesus. He notices and acknowledges, we've been in this for 14 days. You oaks haven't eaten. There is a physical need here. You've got to eat. He also says, you've been here for 14 days in suspense with your heart at the lowest point, believing there is no way to be saved, with no hope. And so spiritually, you are also in need. And he gives them this picture of the bread that is both physical provision and spiritual provision. Physical provision, he says, hey, this will give you strength. You need to eat. But then he gives them this picture, and I, I, hope, you, I hope you tracked it. 
it says he broke the bread, gave thanks, and ate. He points them back to a picture of Jesus on, at the Last Supper. It's why we celebrate communion. We're going to do it today. Because he gives them a picture of Jesus as being our provision from God spiritually. See, because throughout Scripture, the picture of bread has always related back to provision. You go right back to the Exodus. While the nation of Israel was in the wilderness, God would provide for them daily with manna, bread that fell from the sky. In the tabernacle and temple, you had the Ark of the Covenant that housed the presence of God. And in it, you had a piece of manna. It reminded the people that God is our provider, physically and spiritually. In the holy place within the temple, there was the table of bread, 12 pieces representing the 12 tribes. It's not just provision. It also was to show that they are now in relationship with God. The provision of God is not just physical, it is spiritual. I don't know if you know this, some cultures today, we, we sometimes lose it in, in, in biblical context. But if you ate with someone, it was a, com a completely intimate experience. You only ate with someone that you accepted, that you had brought in, that you were close to. And so God gives us this picture of bread that says, hey, I'm not just a provider, but actually I acknowledge that I am perfectly in relationship with you. And so the bread is actually our provision, our relationship, and our worship of God. He provides for us physically. He provides for us spiritually. And Paul will give these men a picture of what that provision looked like. I think it's crazy that in the chaos of the ship being rocked, 14 days of no food in the complete pits of despair, Paul's willing to break bread. He's willing to share not just with those who are with him, but even to those who are holding him captive. He doesn't hold back from anyone because he wants everyone to know the provision of God. When God is our provider, two things are going to happen. We're going to hold tightly to him and we're going to hold lightly the things of this world. That's why I love how it ends. After they had eaten, they were encouraged. They took the provision in. It says they ate their fill. They then throw the wheat overboard. We'll hold tightly to Jesus when we see him as provider. And the things of this world will hold lightly to us. The things of fear and stress will hold lightly to us. And we will hold lightly to the, the things of provision because we have faith in the one who is provider. And so it didn't matter. The wheat was not the provider. The one who brought the wheat was. And so they could throw it overboard in faith, knowing, hey, God is our provider. He has got us. We will be saved. There is a comfort in knowing that. Last anchor that we see is the anchor of power. It's peppered right throughout this whole passage. Paul acknowledges that there is a space in the despair of a human heart that feels powerless. And he points to a powerful God. The God in whom he believes, whom he belongs to, whom he worships. The God who sends an angel to bring the good news that they will be saved from this. The God who has control over the wind and the waves, that his purposes do not fail. And so when he says there is purpose for you beyond this ship being rocked, he won't fail. He's powerful. 
And I think sometimes, and maybe you're in that space right now where you feel powerless, you need to know that God's not just faithful, but that he is powerful. You need to know that in his power, he will cover us. In his power, he will pursue us. In his power, he will give us care and comfort. Last thing I want to take a look at is the wreck. Now, it says this in verse 39. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that they tied, that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. I said this was a 14-day journey where God was going to raise Paul as his servant to lead even while still in chains. Where he will point to a powerful God, a faithful God, a God who is provider. And everything Paul said would come to be, comes to be. Paul said, it is imperative. If we wish to be saved, we need to run this thing aground. If we want to save ourselves, we have to wreck the boat. And they believe him, and they do it. But then there's some logistics that kick in. Because now you have got prisoners and soldiers, soldiers who are responsible, and so they come up with a plan that we must kill the prisoners so that they don't escape. But because God had raised Paul in his leadership over the last 14 days, the centurion sees it and says, wishing to save Paul, he thwarts their plan. Because of what Paul did, because Paul gave a picture of what it looked like to walk through a ship being rocked, full of faith, without floundering, preaching Jesus, bringing hope, standing for what is right, he's able to save many. Because of Paul's presence on the ship, Every single person is saved. Because Paul brought the hope of Jesus to the ship, because he followed a faithful journey and a walking this thing out, God will actually raise him up to the point where he has this ability, this impact, so that everyone on the ship is saved. I wonder if we could walk through a shipwreck like that, full of faith, not floundering, Standing on God's presence, standing on God's provision, standing on God's power, and more importantly, showing that to others so that they can be brought to safety too. It's a challenge for us. But the question is this, do we believe in, do we believe in God or do we believe God? There were many that believed in God. But when the chaos came, when the stress came, when the fear came, what was valuable got tossed overboard. When it came to Paul, he believed God. He believed who God was and what God did. He believed what God said and what God was calling him to do. The challenge for us is will we be so anchored in God? Will we be fully, wholly dependent on God? Not independent where we put our dependence on self or the things of this world because we know it leads to destruction? Would we stand steadfast like Paul did even when all the circumstance looked quite the opposite? 
I'm going to wrap it up, and the band's going to join me on stage. We're going to get ourselves ready to take communion. But I want to ask the question this morning, what, what is your soul anchored in? Have you anchored it in your ability? Have you anchored it in your good idea? Have you anchored it in the things of this world? I think we watched some people, and I, and I know so many have had this experience. Your dependence had got a bit wonky. Your perspective had got a bit wonky. Your priorities had got a bit wonky. And even walking through the storm of COVID, one of the blessings was it revealed that. And so you began to reprioritize what was important. And it's funny, in the echo now, you're watching people slip back. Slip back into independence. Slip back into anchoring their soul to the things of this world and not in God alone. What is anchoring your soul today? What are you depending on today? Because every single one of us will go through storms and we'll encounter wrecks. And the wrecks we encounter, they're going to reveal who we are dependent on. If it is not God, it will lead to destruction. If it is, it will bring us to safety. It means that we can walk through the same wreck as someone else. And where we end up is just like Paul, closer to the purpose that he had for him. Understand, he ended on a beach in Malta, and he had to go further to get to Rome. But can I tell you, Malta is closer to Rome than Crete is. We will end up further along in our purpose with God when we walk out the wreck dependent on him. Because the wreck's inevitable, it's coming. We're all on the same ship. Question is, what will we be anchored in? Why don't you stand with me? Jesus, as we come before you, it's my prayer that we would know that you are the God who is worthy of putting all dependence in because you do not fail. You are faithful. And even as we sing now, would you do work in our heart knowing that you're the God who cares, knowing you're the God who is present, knowing you're the God who provides, knowing you're the God who powerfully protects us even in the midst of chaotic situations. Lord, the wreck is inevitable. The wreck will come. But Lord, you're the God who brings us to safety. You're the God who moves us forward in the purposes you have for us so that we walk out the other side having helped save others. It's what you did with Paul. It's what you're calling us to do. Jesus, as we worship now, would you make yourself known to us? Let's worship and get ready. We'll take communion together now.